The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa, and welcome to Business is Boring. Agritech is big business in Aotearoa, and one of the most interesting bits of tech you might have seen is the halter collar. It's solar-powered and sits on a cow's neck using sound and haptics to track cows, measure their vital signs, and guide them to better pastures. It can get rid of the need for fencing, can help protect waterways and wetlands, optimise land use, and can give farmers peace of mind and cows happier lives. So pretty cool all round. Founded by Craig Piggott, an early Rocket Lab engineer, the company has grown to be a team of 130-plus, Craig's been named a Forbes 30 Under 30 leader, and they're only just getting out of the North Island. To talk the journey, what's next, and building great teams, Craig Pickett joins us now. Tēnā thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Hey, so tell me about the beginning of the idea. What led you to, to think that you want to do something like this? It's a great question. There's, um, there's unfortunately no... Uh, precise light bulb moment that you know would make for good a good story um, but it's kind of a, a combination of a few things um, I was born and bred on dairy farms in the Waikato so obviously understood the industry and the challenges I didn't really see that at the time it wasn't until I left to study engineering in Auckland then you start traveling back and forward between Auckland and, and the farm and that makes you really question things that's where you start to see inefficiencies and you know you ask your parents why do we do this and it's kind of because it's always been done that way. And so that was maybe the start of questioning and if you could do it better, um, if, you could, if you could run a dairy farm better. Um, and then as an engineer, I went on to work at Rocket Lab and that was, that was amazing. Um, I was fortunate to work directly for Peter Beck, the CE there. And that was, I guess, proof that you could, you could assemble a great team, a world-class team, and really have a outrageously ambitious goal, like building a space company in New Zealand. Most people thought that was crazy. This was a couple of years before the first launch. And so it was there that I realized that these feelings of we could, we could be better on a dairy farm, we could be better for the animals, the environment, we could be more productive, almost fell into this category of like, I could do this, I could leave and do this. And so that's what happened. I, I left Rocket Lab and, and started Halter and that was back in 2016. That's so cool, hey, like, just to jump into that Rocket Lab experience, what you say there that, you know, people thought that it was a mad idea kind of mm, thing. Mm. Like, if you look at it now, everyone's yeah. like, well, of course, New Zealand has a space industry. Yeah. But, like, that yeah. is so wildly unlikely yeah. that we'd be one of, like, six countries in the world that can send something to space, you know. Yeah. That is bananas. Oh, for sure. Pete has this, Pete Beck has this great quote, which is, I'm going to butcher this, but it's like, Everyone calls you crazy until you do it, and then they call you a visionary. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and yeah, it's really the the main lesson there is what you can achieve with an incredible team. 
Everybody says it's the most important thing. It's still 10 times more important than even you think you think it is. That's, it just continually surprises you and, and what you can achieve and how fast you can move and things like that. What was it like, you know, being in this company, which has, you know, built, built, built out our kind of local space industry and, and proven the path for many other people? Uh, you know, it must have been super exciting. It's like an early in career yep. engineer. You're working on essentially like the coolest kind of tech that, you know, yep. exists kind of stuff. Yeah. What was it like having a conversation with Peter to say, hey, I'm off? Yeah, well, the um, obviously from the outside and when you first join Rocket Lab, it's, it's launching rockets into space. Obviously, that's exciting. Um, and you, you go, well, I went because it was, it was exciting tech. It was leading edge engineering, that, that type of stuff. Very quickly, though, you get used to being around rockets. You, you see them every day. You walk past them and it, they kind of... I don't want to say the novelty wears off, but it's you just get used to that. And the thing that actually st- stuck with me and kept me, you know, I was excited to get out of bed at the end of that year still to go to work. And that was because of the team, because of just the environment was like infectious. It was the coolest. You'd kind of like walk into the office and it felt different to the rest of society and, and the rest of, of being in Auckland and New Zealand. So that was, that was the main thing. To, to your question on what was it like telling Peter, I was, uh, I was pretty scared for sure. Um, I wasn't sure really how to bring it up. And, and I, knew I, um, I knew I had to. Like, who better to bounce an idea off and talk about that than, than Peter Beck? He, had, he was doing it. He had raised money. He had built a team. I was like, if, I, if I'm too scared to do this, this is ridiculous. I have to tell him. And so, yeah, I, I guess I kind of floated as just looking for advice and, and talked him through it all. And he was, I shouldn't have been scared. He was amazing. He, he was super supportive and fr- right from the beginning was just really interested and was like stoked for me. And yeah, almost instantly was offering to to invest and join the board. And um, that was kind of, yeah. And then the day after I told him, I, yeah, I finished a rock lab and started at Holter. Ah, that, so. That's so cool because we, we had um, Fia Jones on recently who was saying, you know, he, he was really instrumental in helping them kind of, but you know, p- push harder. And um, yeah, and, and, and talking to him last year where he was talking about um, the way that he had people who gave him his space to uh, work after hours and keep pushing on yep. and helped him with materials. And it's really yep. cool to see that kind of pushing on. But pretty rare to go to your boss and go, hey, I'm off, and have them go, oh, great, have some money. Yeah, go yeah. nuts. <laughs> well, <laughs> Please don't steal all my engineers. Yeah, from two, from the, <laughs> that's a, that is a, a good topic. Um, yeah, from to be really honest, uh, my initial reaction when he was offering to, to give us money was like, don't worry about it. We'll we'll be okay. We'll we'll raise from investors, and we knew we were going to have to raise some proper capital. We we have hardware. We're, it's deep tech. We, there was going to be a, a lot of R and D. So my initial thinking was like, no, no, no. I'd I'd love for you to be on the board, but we don't need your money. Then very quickly you realize actually that that's the best reference you ever get. If your old boss gives you an like invest money, that's and so um, yeah, that was we ended up taking investment from him, and it has been. It's a great stamp of approval and and that's something that has been a theme over and over on this pod actually and that money's more than money when someone who people respect invests it's their social 100%. social capital as yep. well eh? and they're like well if that person's doing that yeah i I'll, I'll be into it i'll, I'll give it yep. a good look and, and that, yeah. that's really valuable especially if uh you're operating in a space which is which is foreign to some people like hey you might not know uh a whole lot about hardware but if someone else does and they're investing then you can kind of lean on that um that confidence, I guess. So, but the 
probably the most important thing when you raise money is yeah, who it comes from and their experience and, and how they can help you. So tell us what that idea was you got started with. And um, yeah, and then and then as you just mentioned, it's hardware, which, you know, there's that great expression, yeah. you know, hardware is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So tell us, tell us what you, you know, were initially setting out to build and how that went. Yes. So the initial question was, uh, there was just a lot of inefficiencies on a farm and uh, a lot of challenges, a lot of ways that, that farming has to improve and has to be better. And when you look at the like, I guess as an engineer, what we would call the first principles, um, which is like how grass grows and how healthy cows make more milk and all that type of stuff, you realize this massive gap. This There are these these ways that farming is done today that doesn't align with these with these principles. Okay, it can be a lot better. And to farmers, that's just, but well, that's how we've always done it. That's the practicalities. Like, what, you're expecting me to, like, I'm already working 100 hours a week. Like, there's no way I could do that. That's ridiculous. And and fair enough, That's that was what I um, believed when I, when I was on a farm. And, and it comes down to how and the tools. And so that was, like, the the spark that started Holter, I guess. Very quickly, everything on a, on a pasture-based dairy farm revolves around the cow. That's really the core of everything. When you look at a farm, you see fences and gates and paddocks, and that's all to manage the cow. So you, you start with the cow, really. That's like, well, we should go straight to the core. And so we started thinking, you know, how do we monitor a cow? That's it's not too hard. Um, you know, people monitor humans' Fitbits and things like that. So how does that work? And then the real question was, how do you train a cow? If you could avoid using all this infrastructure, how, how could you actually just train a cow? Cows are smart. They are trained to routine, they're trained to time, you know, um, when daylight savings changes, they're all standing at the gate an hour early because, you know, the, so they're like, they're really, they are smart and yeah, there's a lot of things they're trained to. So that, that was a question, can you use, really can you use software to, to train a cow? And if you could, that would pave the way for a whole new way to run a farm and you could be a lot more efficient, you could make it a lot more natural for the cow, um, you could reduce impacts on waterways, environments, um, the animal itself. Yeah, so there's a kind of a whole lot of improvements. And so that was the, the initial question really. Like, Yeah, that's such a cool way to look at it as well, which is like most of the infrastructure on a farm is to try and get the cow to do what you want it to do at the time you want it to do it. Yes. But maybe if you <laughs> could get the cow to do it directly, that obviates the need for a lot of that. Yes, for sure. And you, the, the good thing about working at that fundamental layer, that like first principles layer is the impact you have is throughout the entire operation. You're not a, a gadget or a piece of tech that sits on the top and sometimes we use it, sometimes we're not. You're like right at the core. And so today on farms, we, we are really at the core of, of these operations and farmers use it every single day and it's running the most critical parts of their farm. So your ability to enact change and have an impact is massive. You can, you know, you can really make a difference on these operations. And, and if you can really make a difference on one farm, you know, you, you add a few more farms, the next thing you're starting to make a difference in an in industry. And that's really, I guess, the end goal and, and how we, yeah, why we get up in the morning. So how's it used day to day? Like, um, you, you know, I, I guess in, just to jump forward to the now state, you know, yeah. how, how's it used now? It's all built. And then maybe we'll go back and see how you got there. But like, yeah. so what is a, what is a farmer, um, you know, how do they physically use the collar and the system? Yep. And what are some of the kind of, um, what are some of the key benefits out of that? There's two pieces of our technology that you see. 
One is the collar that's on a car and one is the app. So they're kind of the two front-facing pieces. These, all of the hard stuff and a lot of the smart stuff is in the cloud and, <laughs> and our data pipelines, and that's all, you obviously don't see that. But So collar and an app. Um, collar goes on a cow, on every cow, we set up a farm. And really, we're trying to train, train and track the, these cows. And that can be used in a, uh, that, the outputs fit into a few categories. So the first one is labor. Labor is really tricky on a farm where um, thousands of rolls short, and that was only made worse with COVID. So there's labor, these um, productivity or pasture, which is how you graze your grass. If you're not a farmer, it's, uh, it's not super intuitive, but grass is really sensitive to, the growth of the grass is really sensitive to how you graze it. Um, you graze it too hard, there's no leaf left for it to grow, and you leave it for too long, it goes to seed. And so you've got to be really precise with your grass. Uh, and then the third one is around the animal itself and things like tracking its health, uh, heat detection, which is tracking fertility and things like that. So it kind of fits into these three categories. At the highest level, we save about 30 hours a week on a farm. Um, we increase, I guess, production or grass growth by 10 to, we grow and utilize more grass, um, which is really good for, for a farm, both environmentally and for productivity. And then the cows are healthier, um, they get sick less, and if they do get sick, we pick it up earlier. And so there's a few ways uh, yeah, that that kind of works, and then a a big benefit, which is which is growing, and and the product moving this way, is around the environment. Um, something like if you can shift a cow around a farm, and then obviously you can keep a cow out of waterways or sensitive environments. You can run a more precise operation, so there's less wastage, um, lower inputs, less emissions. So there's kind of this big. You start to see how it's a platform, and you build on top of it, right? It does touch every part of the operation on a farm. Yeah, and that idea, you know, you, you, I guess when the cows are doing what you want them to do, that's when things are going well as well. Mm. Like, uh, you know, oh, I've lost a lost a cow, I've got to go find it, or yeah. there's a cow in the waterway, or there's a cow yeah. in a hole. You know, yeah. those are, those are your problems, or yeah. um, you know, oh, they shouldn't be they shouldn't be grazing there. Mm. But how do you do it? Like, how do you keep the cows where you want them to be? And and I imagine it, it really helps if you don't wake up and go, where the hell are they? So you know. <laughs> yeah. So that must be a yeah. huge bit of peace of mind for for farmers. But how do they put them there? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, that was like the. When you start a startup, you there's a lot of stuff that you have to do which people have done before. So um, you could say it's not groundbreaking, but it, you've still got to do it. Um, an example might be a simple example might be like um, build an app. It's like, well, we know it's possible. People have built apps, and so it's obviously not easy. You got to find the right people, and it takes time, but it's doable. Then there's this category of like your risks, things no one's ever done before. Um, depending on your startup, but especially if it's deep tech. And the idea is you pick your your biggest risk and you start there because the more risks you can cross off, the more valuable you are, the more confidence you have that it will work. Biggest risk for us was can you train a cow? That's like the, a cow's smart enough to be, to be trained. Um, the insight that made me think that was possible was you, uh, when you're on a farm, cows get trained to sounds, to um, a whole lot of cues. So they, they do pick up on these. And so we train, we kind of, I guess, copy that. We, you could think like how a, a cow responds to a dog maybe, or we train a cow to respond to yeah, sound and vibration as our primary cues. And so the way that works is the collar learns everything about the animal and then uses Pavlovian conditioning. So think um, Pavlov's dogs, you ring a bell, the dog drools, you're associating an action with a cue. That's exactly what this collar's doing. Um, and that trains the animal. And then once an animal's trained, that period takes like, we kind of say a week, but usually within a couple of days, they 
really rely on the caller as their source of truth and their cues rather than the visual cues that they have today. So think, you know, cows are trained to fences and gates and, and, and bikes and dogs. Instead of that, and instead of humans running around in paddocks chasing these animals, you have this collar which is more consistent, it's more reliable, it's custom per cow, um, it never changes. It's, and that results in much calmer, much more natural behaviours from a herd. Um, it's really incredible if you ever get to, to go to a halter farm. The first thing people notice is, whoa, these cows are very calm. They, you can walk through them and, and you're nothing to them because you're not the one managing the cow anymore. It's, it's, and so you're there, you're closer to them, your relationship changes with an animal. But... Anyway, that's a long answer to, no, to it's, how. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. It's absolutely. And, and so I guess because the first place most people might go in their heads when they hear that there's a, a, a collar on an animal that keeps them inside the fence mm. is those zapping collars that dogs get, you know, to, yes. to stay yeah, inside yeah, boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's, it's, it's training rather than zapping. Yes, very, very different. That's a very common question. It's trying to, trying to understand like how it's different and, and things like that. So no, you... The key thing is you need to train a cow. We call it predictability and, and control. It's like the cow needs to fully understand how the, yeah, how the collar works really. And um, if that's the case, then they're able to really trust the system and really push the system and things like that. So, and that's where, yeah, you start to see these, these calm herds and um, really cool, um, just really cool behavior change and a lot more like natural and, and it enables also, if you think about, say, cows in the wild, it's not super common to have a group of 500 cows all in one herd and this, this age hierarchy and there's a lot of bullying. And so, yeah, you can run, uh, instead of running 500 cows in a single mob um, because that's, you know, that's easier to manage, you can now run four mobs and you can have young ones over here and old ones. Over, and so you can really preferentially look after and, and split your herd. That's, this is where Holter comes into its own because that's better for the animal um, and happier, healthier cows also make more milk, so it's better for the farm. So it's kind of, it's a win-win. And this is where um, if you start at the core and you challenge the inefficiencies, it could, it's no longer a trade-off. It's just a net gain in every, every dimension. And so um, that's, yeah, when you look at the challenges on a farm, you really need to start solving some of these problems and um, making farms more productive, et cetera, so that they, um, they can be more efficient, they can do more with less. And we'll be back in a minute with Craig Pickett to hear how we went around building the product for Halter and what's next. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. 
A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Welcome back to Business is Boring with Craig Pickett of Halter. So tell us about how you first actually went about um, solving that problem. So how do you go about building out a hardware solution and the whole kind of app cloud thing mm-hmm. and convince farmers to change the first principles of the farm? It's a great question. And I often, I, I reflect on this quite a bit actually, because there are definitely moments I, we're about six and a half years in, Teams 130. And uh, these moments you look around and you go, whoa, uh, this is not what I imagined. And I think the key to get started is to not be overwhelmed by how much you have to do, is to really just keep your head down and look, you know, only a little bit ahead um, and work out what you need to do today, tomorrow, in the next month. Otherwise, it's so daunting. Like, if you were to write down all the things you've got to solve for a deep tech business or all the hurdles you've got to overcome to become a global, publicly listed, you know, billion dollar company, that's, it's just, that is a scary path. But if you break it down into chunks, it's a lot more manageable. And then you just get started. So that's really how we got started, I guess. We set out to work out if we could train a cow. And so we just started building pretty rough prototypes and working with pet cows on farm that, um, on my parents' farm. And just learning, uh, just trying stuff. A lot of stuff didn't work, a lot of stuff did work, and you kind of, yeah, you just iterate from there. What's involved in the hardware part of it? So you've got like solar-powered halters yep. that talk to, you know, the app and the the, the, the cloud part of it, yep. but also have like haptics and sounds and stuff, and they've got to be able to live in the outdoors <laughs> yes, in yeah. all conditions and <laughs> yeah. be rubbed against posts as they get scratched and... How do, how do you do that? Yeah, for sure. If you're referencing when you get started, that's a great example of something you you want to be very intentional about. So when we first started trying to work out whether we could train a cow, we did not focus on trying to build waterproof, reliable hardware. That was That's an example of something which other people have done, you know it's possible, and you're going to have to do it at some stage, but it's not your biggest risk. Um, it's one of the risks, but it's not the biggest one. And so... We just started out, I think it was actually my black dress belt and just anything we could we could get and sure, we couldn't use it in the rain or anything like that and it would break all the time, but that was okay. And then over time, once you, okay, we can train a cow, we can train, a, we can train 10 cows and a herd of cows, all right, now we need to color that as actually waterproof. And so, but by that stage, you've started to raise money, you build a team, you find people that have done it before. So it can sound daunting, but again, you split it up and it's, it's not too bad. And these days... We have an incredible, incredible hardware team and they work really hard and they're all smart and they um, really have been able to iterate and learn a lot. Um, obviously, other people build durable, um, waterproof kind of hardware and it's a lot harder than I thought it was. Like you think, oh yeah, a lot of things are waterproof. Turns out making things waterproof, especially in the outdoors and the sun and the frost and the snow being rubbed against trees and stuff is is pretty tricky and so <laughs> it has taken a while um not to mention supply chain in china and, and whatnot but yeah you kind of just you just iterate and you solve that so the hardware is um we try our best to not be too fancy in the hardware we want to keep the hardware simple right that's the expensive part it's the hard bit to build you want to do all the smart stuff and software if you if you can um but the hardware has benefits people say it's hard it is it's also stickier. You put a collar on a cow, you know, you don't wake up one morning and just decide to turn it off. Like it's so there is there are benefits as well. And you can do a lot a lot more. So 
And how about getting into those first farms and going, hey, it's going to be okay. You can put um, this herd in beside <laughs> yeah. this fresh new planting and they won't eat all the grass that you're really worried that they're going to yeah. get to next week, even though it's sitting 20 metres away from yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, oh, because, because you know, the, the collar is going to beep and whistle at them yeah. and shake a bit. Like, yeah. how, how do the farmers react to that? So the main thing is... Um, especially in the early days, you want to find farmers that are really aligned with you on being better and changing. And, and so for sure, those first few farmers definitely were, were early adopters and, and were like, yep, there's risk and that's okay. You know, we just want to be part of the future. And, and they, it's amazing actually the, the spread here where um, the amount of farmers that, and the story you know, isn't really portrayed like this, but the amount of farmers that really care about their animals, the environment, they want to be better, they're singing out for tools to to help them. And you turn up and be like, hey, we've got this idea and we think it works and come look at it on a research farm. And thankfully we were developing in the field. So it wasn't that much of it. We weren't turning up with, you know, a laptop and, and an idea. We were saying, hey, come, come, come check it out. Um, and it's not until you, like it sounds crazy and I haven't quite worked out how to make it sound any less crazy when you when you're sitting here, but it's not until you yeah you see it in real life, and that was what we did. We just took farmers to our farm, and the stereotype is a bit outdated on like farmers don't adopt tech, and all you know, I think they're just rational, logical people. You build a great product, and it's usable, and it's it's better for the animals and the land, etc. And like they'll use it. Um, yeah. What are the you know what are what are some of the examples of what it's meant in terms of what farmers are able to do now versus what they were? And also in terms of quality of life, because you mentioned earlier, you know, and you grew up in that environment, you know, that working 100 hours a week and they're up at, you know, yeah. four and, you know, milking twice a day and all of this stuff. And it's it's pretty relentlessly brutal kind of mm. um, kind of existence. Yeah, there is there are so many examples here. These are these are spectrum from farmers where it's been absolutely life changing. They're able to spend a lot more time with their kids, get off farm. These bunch of farmers that you know are able to take a weekend off and they haven't had a weekend off in in a year, like that type of stuff. So that's that's amazing. Um, there's also this category of farmers where being able to run a more productive farm has given them the freedom to really do a lot of other cool things. And so there's, there's one farm in particular I'm thinking of here where they've managed to lift their production about 10%. They've therefore been able to reduce or retire, sorry, some of their steeper land, plant it out with trees and, um, and natives. Um, they're able to reduce the workload on their staff. Um, staff retention is a big thing at the moment in, in the industry. And, and so it's like, how do we reduce those ridiculous working hours? How do we make it what if we could make it 50 hours a week? That'd be great. That'd be a like, you know, that'd be a great, a, a much better lifestyle for staff. And and really, Holter, um, how I try and describe this as a as a system is you want to take the farmer and we don't want to make decisions on behalf of the farmer. They know their land, their cows, they're the, you know, that's really their their core skill set is like understanding what's going on. We're just a tool. So we serve up information and we make it easy to do the right thing. Um, but farmers more and more, they spend less time putting up fences and walking behind cows, less time doing these minimum wage jobs, and more time making really important decisions. <clears throat> um, like, you know, how can I be uh, more environmentally friendly? How do I, what what I need to change about my operation to be better, rather than being in the operation it, itself. Um, and that's that's quite good for farmers as well. That makes the, the job of a farmer a lot more interesting, and, and they get to use their 
like they're a lot more strategic and a lot less operational. Yeah. Well, like any business, you know, everyone's like, well, you should spend, you know, at least 20% of your time working on the business, not in the business. But when there's no extra 20% and yeah, you've got yeah, a hundred yeah. hours of yeah. like, it's very hard to physically do any of that and get any of that space. So I imagine it's kind of like um, pretty life-changing. life And then the, the, the view of farming as well has always been, oh, there's these big, you know, farmers for all this money and rah rah But like for years... You know, farming was more about the the capital gains on the land than the um, than the actual income from mm. the uh, the cows and yep. the dairy. And then when land prices stop going up, the whole equation changes. I mean, there's a lot of farmers under a a lot of pressure with a lot of debt. For sure, yeah. And there's a, there's um, there's obviously a, like in industry, there's a big spectrum of people that have been doing it for a long time and people that are new and and there's a whole lot of different goals. That's also the one thing. We we have to remember when we when we turn up to a farm, it's like what do you what are you trying to achieve here? Because is it there are some farmers that are like I want to make this more sustainable for me. I want to you know mental health is a huge problem on farms. I want to be in a better headspace and I want to just enjoy it more. And uh, so there's that angle, which is cool. That's fine. Um, but there's also the younger I want to pay down debt. I want to be more efficient. Um, I want to treat my staff better or retain my staff. So there's all these, yeah, there's there's a spectrum. And the, the good thing about a, a great product is you're able to serve all of those kind of different personas as, as such. You'd call them, if you're using product thinking, you'd, you'd call them personas. So. And to talk about like the team, you mentioned before uh, 130. Now that's, that's a lot of people. And yeah. like there's some kind of hard rules about scaling that, you know, um, at certain numbers, things get a lot harder. And yep. you've been through a whole bunch of those thresholds yep. uh, over the six years. Tell us about your approach. And, and, and you mentioned early on how important that building a team and, and, and enabling them to do what they need to do is to, to getting there. Tell us a bit about your approach there and how you've managed to grow the team like that. Yes. Uh, the t- uh, I think Vinod Coase has got a great quote, which is, uh, the team you build is the business you build, not the plan you make. And it's so true. Like, especially in startups, when you, it's pretty hard to see six months out. You don't really know what's going to work, what's not. And, and so the best thing you can do is build the best team and set the best culture and and back yourselves to get through anything that does pop up and, and solve problems as they arise. So team is the most important thing. Obviously, that's not groundbreaking to anyone, and, and then you get into how, and, and that's pretty tricky. Um, how do you build a great team? And and also, you don't want to fall into the trick of thinking that it's a, a metric where the more is, you know, the bigger it is, the better. Like, if anything, the, more, the bigger your team is, well, the more results you should have, right? So you almost need to normalize your results for team size. And so 130 isn't, I'd, I'd love for it to be smaller, but it's, there's just so much going on and there is, um, we've got so much product we need to build and the farmers wish we, we had already. And so we're always trying to, to be better. And so, yeah, anyway, no, it is, it's critically important. If you get it wrong, it's, it's tough to, um, to really move at the pace you need to move and achieve what you want to do. What kind of people do you look for? And and is it kind of like, you know, people who are already exactly what you're after or when you're building out new technology and new ideas, mm. are you kind of getting people who can go to places you don't even know they're going to go yet? Oh, yeah, for sure. We, I reckon my favourite thing about managing people is when you when they achieve stuff they didn't even think was possible. Um, and you, and I, yeah, it'd be like a lot of good sports coaches, I guess, where you you help people to get to a level they didn't know they didn't even dream of that's that is cool there's nothing much, there's nothing more rewarding than that so but most of the people we hire are it's rare to find the perfect you know got the ex- 
got the experience, um, and they come just ticking every box. Uh, and yeah, and especially if it's proven talent, like if they've done that before, then you know they might not want to go back to the start and do it again. Some people do, some people don't. And so often you're looking for unproven talent. Um, you're taking bets on people. You're giving them the space and just backing that they'll they'll make it work. So a lot of the time it's it's hardworking, hungry. Um, passionate people that want to make a difference um, and care a lot. They really, you know, they turn up and they care about their work and they care about the farmers and they want to, you know, they, they want to make a difference in an industry. So that's really the, um, how we think about building a team. Yeah. And I saw that you'd mentioned somewhere about, you know, you like people who um, outwork, outthink, outcare. Yes. And I love, I love that as like, yeah. you know, like um, r- really caring the whole way through mm. is is such a cool thing for mm. a really kind of like cool product and yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a cool take on it. Yeah, it's kind of become popular to, uh, I, in my eyes, it's become popular to pretend that hard work doesn't matter and and you just work smarter and, and like, I don't know. I just don't think that's true. And I think if you really want to do something that, that matters, like, and you're passionate about it, then... Like, yeah, you throw everything you can at it. You work as smart as you can, you work as hard as you can, and, and you care. And I think that's a that's a big part of our team and how we operate. And it's fun. Like, when you're doing it with a group of people that all, you know, want to be there and you're making a lot of progress and you're learning a lot, then um, you don't really think of it as work in a way. It's just something you do. And, um, yeah, I'm, I often say this, like, I'm even personally, I'm a better person because of what Holter has taught me and, and my time at Holter which I, th- I hope other people on the team can also say. And there've been some great accolades and, uh, you, you know, results along the way. Um, funding from some really, really serious and interesting kind of um, sources. Uh, accolades like uh, top 30, 30 under 30 on the Forbes list. Um, you, you know, entrepreneurship. Like that, when you look at a company that is um, successful from the outside, it can be very easy to go like, oh, well, you know, it was always going to be good. But have there been moments where you've wondered if, it's not going to get there. Oh, startups are a roller coaster for sure. They're, you can go from the highest euphoric highs to the lowest lows, and sometimes in the same day, or often in the same day, sometimes in the same hour. It's it's impressive, and after a while, you get used to it. You you come to learn that you know that's fine. And if you've got a great team and you know what you've solved in the past, it's rare a fire will metaphorical fire arises, and you don't think you can solve it. So you, you get you do get used to it. Yeah, the, the uh, you called out there raising money and, and winning awards. We often say like, you don't, we obviously don't start a business to raise money. We, we raise money because we need it to, to do what we want to do. And so they are good milestones, but you don't want to get too, I guess, you don't want to pat yourself on the back too much when you, just because you've raised money. And then also awards. We, we never used to do awards at the start. It turns out that they're great for helping to build credibility when it comes to hiring and talent and that type of stuff. So, and it's good for the team to see, especially pre-revenue when we weren't selling and we didn't have these great customer stories and life-changing quotes. And, you know, like before that, having some awards was helpful to know that, oh, actually, you know, some of the stuff's good. And so, but really that's a thing for, for hiring and whatnot. So ultimate success isn't raising money, isn't awards, it's yeah, it's your customer stories, it's your making a difference on farms, it's, and then ultimately it's scaling to be big enough where, you know, if you if you completely change five farms for the better, then well, that's, it's not really leaving a dentist, you've got to be on enough scale to have impact. So. Yeah. And what impact would you like to see Holter make? 
So success for Halter is um, farming looks different in the future. We believe that you, in five years' time, it'll be very impractical to run a farm without a system like Halter. It's just better in every dimension. It's, it's better for the cows, it's, um, it's better for the farmers, their life, for staff. It's just, yeah. So maybe you could think of it simplistically as there was a point in time when people would milk cows by hand, then there was machines that did that, and no one milks cows by hand these days. It's just they would, it's laughable, and I hope we can achieve the same. Um, whether that's Holter or uh, there's, you know, there's others trying to do it, and uh, a company like Holter, then that's fine. Like, obviously, I want it to be Holter, and we'll work pretty hard for it to be. <laughs> um, but the bigger thing is we're trying to change the industry here, and I think it's just so important. Growing population, you know, trying to produce high-quality food, and um, how does that work? And yeah, there's not a lot of answers out there, so um, we hope to be part of that solution. And as a final kind of thought, what would advice be from you for people who do see a problem or do, you know, I love the way that you um, you mentioned earlier on that from going from the city back to the rural environment and you're able to look and go, why are these things done this way? You mm. know, like, oh, get that extra perspective. Like, yeah. what would your advice be for someone who's who's got themselves a really interesting perspective and is thinking there's there's an idea here? Yeah, I think the most common, I meet a lot of people and a lot of people I think would be great founders. And I often ask like, you know, why don't, why don't you like, oh, I want to do my own thing. Go for it. Like, let's, let's do it. I was very fortunate to have Pete behind me and helping me and as a mentor. And I love to help anyone I, I can. Um, not saying that I have great <laughs> ideas, but if I can even just listen, then I think that's helpful sometimes. I think people often go, oh, I don't have a good idea or, oh, I'm thinking about this, but it's got these problems and... And it's like, well, if an, if an idea was so good from the start that it was, you know, it was good in every dimension, it's probably already been done. Um, and I think most, I don't know what the stats would be, but most ideas seem like bad ones at the start. There's these reasons why it shouldn't work, but it's not your job to come up with the reasons why it won't work. It's your job to think about why, you know, how it possibly could and what if, you know, how could we is a great question. And so it's kind of like, don't, if you're going to come up with, with excuses to why you shouldn't do it, then that's just the wrong mindset. Um, you need to fix the mindset and then just start, just get going. Um, we often say, you know, wake up every morning and move the ball forward. And if you do that enough times, you you start to really get get some traction. And um, another great question is people often say, like, oh, you know, yeah, when did you think that, when did you know it was working? And, you know, and it's like, well, I don't know. We just woke up every morning and solved problems and, and, and tried to, to move the ball forward. And, kind of you focus on the inputs in a way and the score keeps like takes care of itself um sorry i paused because that's actually a book <laughs> a book title but um i wasn't trying to reference that so um yeah it's kind of just get going really just break it down don't be too put off and just start yeah love it and you mentioned just before what success would be for halter as a um as, as an end thought kind of like what will success be for you do you think what a question um well, for me at the moment, uh, my my life is so tied to Halter. It's every waking moment. Um, and so I think the first milestone is, is ensuring Halter is successful and we make a difference and, and whatnot. Bigger than that, I love the this kind of startup journey. Like I everything about um, the pressure and the hard work and the uncertainty and the challenges is, is a lot of fun. I think I'm... I often joke I'm probably the most unemployable uh, person out there in terms of going to a corporate. So, I yeah, I hope that 
you know, the whole journey is a long and a successful one. You know, as in, I, I'm going to be there for a while. And bigger than that, I think either, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Holter evolves. We think we're good at things in the real world. We're good at building hardware. We're good at deploying to, you know, what would historically be called a hard industry, um, getting harder out there onto farms. Um, so there's a lot of questions around what does that look like when it's bigger than ag, when it's bigger than, definitely bigger than, than dairy cows. Is that a... Is that an operating system for the real world across any industry or any of ag? Or is that changing the relationship with animals more broadly, how you interact with your dog or, or things like that? So it's kind of a, a lot of directions there, which I, I hope to, to to make a difference in. Yeah, I guess it's a, bit, a little bit unknown. But, yeah, uh, it's yeah. so cool that, that like yeah. just fizzing with kind of ideas and opportunities. And that's awesome, man. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Well, I've loved hearing to you today. So thank you for coming and um, sharing your story and can't wait to see, um, yeah, where you take Halter next. Cool, thank you, thank you for having me. So thank you to Craig Piggott, thank you to you for listening and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Jane Yee. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. Inohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, Podcast Manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.